Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight. We're going to be talking about a current campaign on Kickstarter for a returning book. I have the writer of that book joining me, Jay, friend of the show, Jason Inman. Jason, thanks for joining me. Hello, good sir. And I just want to tell the listeners how awesome you are because the first time I ever did this podcast, Jace, you sent me a Zoom link. And at that time, I had no clue what Zoom was. I think right. it was like 2017 or 2018. I was yep. like, I don't know what this is. And who knew you were the early adopter, man? <laughs> yeah, now it's not even a, a name of a play. It's, it's like Kleenex for tissues. And it's, yes. also, it, it's also become a verb. I'm going to zoom that, per, per, you know what I mean? Yes. It, like, even if you're not you're using like Google, uh, Microsoft Teams or, yeah. or Google Meets or whatever, like everybody says Zoom now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fantastic. You're but, a futurist like Iron Man. Yeah. But but uh, the downside of that, like we were talking about, man, it'd be nice to be able to go back to it, doing some in-person <laughs> interaction instead of. Right. Right. I mean, I, I don't even remember the last time I. I saw you San Diego, 2019, maybe. Uh, or, or, or it might've been the December 2019, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, on, on more uh, joyous topics. That's right. Uh, you're here to talk about the second volume of uh, super best friend, which funded in a, a ridiculously short, short amount of time. How quick was it? 9.5 hours. Wow. I don't know the exact, but it's pretty close to somewhere around 9.5 hours, which is my fastest Kickstarter yet and, and shocked and stunned me. And I was so happy about. Yeah, that's got to be gratifying. I mean, any I mean, would you venture a guess? Is it, is it the community you've built, you know, between your podcast and your previous work? Do you think it was good timing? Is it the quality of the book? Is it all of the above? What are your thoughts? It's probably a little of the all of the above, but I, I would I would put most of the success towards the community. I think. You know, this is, um, if you go look at Kickstarter, like I think it says this is my fifth project, but actually it's my seventh because um, I helped some other people. And then we also did an Indiegogo way back in the day. Um, I think at this point now, luckily, and I'm so happy about it. I think if I put something on Kickstarter now, people are like, oh, I know. I know the quality it's going to be and I know I'm going to get it because I'm very, I'm very obsessed with fulfilling campaigns because we all know Kickstarter campaigns that never fulfill. And, um, so I, and I think, uh, I think also people are a little bit, they want a little bit of fun in their lives and that's exactly what super best friend is. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I did get to read the first, uh, 20 pages or so of the second volume. And it was, it was fantastic. I reread the, the first issue, which I hadn't read in probably a year, which was, you know, uh, fun. Like, oh yeah, I've been immersed in this world. Um, and we'll, we'll let you give an elevator pitch and talk about the, uh, the book in a second, but I, I wanted to go back to this idea of, uh, of community real quick. I think the other part of the community that you've built here, what they come to know, certainly what I feel is that I know that you're going to be there for the property. If you know what I mean? Like this isn't one of those things where you, you know, write a story, do an issue or two, do a, um, a trade, and then you move on to something else. And that's, and that's forgotten. I mean, you engage, you, you, you know, you bring it back up, you uh, and Ashley, who, who uh, your wife and, and writing partner, who you uh, do projects with sometimes, you guys engage and you talk about the stuff and you do stickers and you do, you, you know, I, I think it, it's almost like the idea of getting a piece of, of technology or software and it's that continued support. Mm. I feel like that's what you guys have for your properties. It, I mean, that must be purposeful, right? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, because like, you know, they always say, you know, I, I, I've been on um, other people's podcasts sometimes and and we all hear this and look, we know that we're not, as a fellow podcaster, you know this as well as me, that we're not, you know, nobody out there is Kevin Smith. Only Kevin Smith is Kevin Smith. Right. But at the same time, I've been on a show before where somebody has said, yes, in my rinky dink podcast from the junkyard. And I always say to the person, I'm like, don't call your podcast rinky dink. It's awesome. If, if, if you don't believe in your podcast, why should a listener? And I think that is, it's, you know, it's, it's being a little bit, you know, bonkers about your project, you know, because you have to be obsessed about it. But if you have enthusiasm or passion about your thing, then I hope that is contagious. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a hundred percent true. And not, and not forgetting about the, the stuff that, you you know, is your body of work. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it's not just, don't just be passionate about what you've done before. Or, or what you're working on currently, but make sure you're passionate about uh, about what you've done before. I mean, it had worth, otherwise you wouldn't have done it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's also the the thing too, right? They always say like, if you release a book, I've, there's a statement out there that says um, you're actually marketing it for five years mm. and you can't judge it as like a failure or a success unless it's still, you have to look at the five years. Right. You know, and that's some, that's a hard lesson to remember, I think. But I think that's true of everything. I think that's true of pot. I think that's true of like almost all art, um, you know, with the exception of maybe TikTok, which are just like, you know, show up, go away, you know, yeah. like, but like movies and like you have to look down like down the road where like with a movie, how are the ticket sales? How are the Blu-ray sales? Was it sold to a streaming service? Like and the merchandising is part of that. Like, you know, like we're so quick in our, you know, 24 hour instantaneous social media world to throw things away, but it's actually like the cycles are much longer than we ever realize. Yeah. And it has so much to do with, with timing too. You know, something can come out at the wrong time. And I mean, look at all the movies that got pulled after nine 11 that, it, you know, all of a sudden it wasn't the right time. So yeah, so much of what's going on in the world plays into that. And then people discover it later and realize, oh, this was great. How come it didn't do better? So, yeah, I think you're right. Things have a lot longer cycle than you might might necessarily think. And there's so much media, especially in the last two years, that has benefited from the pandemic as well. Yeah. Like the idea that like because people have a little bit more time on their hands – I, and I think comic books are one of those medias. I think oh, comic sure. books have definitely benefited from the pandemic because people are like, well, I got more time to read. Yeah. Yeah. And people, uh, I mean, as far as the secondary market, people weren't spending money on vacations or gas to get, you know, get to work in their cars or whatever. And all of a sudden, collect, I mean, plenty of those old back issues just went, went nuts through the roof. Yeah. 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 It was yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's talk specifically about super best friend here. Obviously we're, we're doing volume two. Uh, remind everybody what the the basic uh, elevator pitch of the story is, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the reception for issue one. Sure. The basic elevator pitch is: What if Jimmy Olsen live streamed every adventure of Superman and then accidentally revealed his secret identity on YouTube? Is basically and so my Jimmy Olsen stand-in is Matty Moore, who's the best friend of the world's uh, greatest superhero, Captain Terrific. Um, they're best friends. Uh, Maddie runs a channel called Super Best Friend. And in issue one, he accidentally revealed his best friend's secret identity to the entire world. And in our second installment, you know, we were staying on the surface in issue one. And in issue two, 
we're diving deep. We're going a little bit deeper into the world of superheroes. And by that, I mean now to repair his friendship with his best friend and to kind of put the identity back in the bag. He has to deal with cybernetic clones and electric doppelgangers and the United States army is going to start chasing um, them down. And it's all about, um, it's, it's really examining fandom because I think a lot of people when they analyze fandom or the thing they love, whether it be star Wars or comic books or podcasts, and I'm definitely in this boat as well. We like to to lessen ourselves compared to the media. It's kind of like what I was talking about the podcast earlier, a little, I made that mention where we try to be like, well, there's no way I'm as good as star Wars. And it's like, no, 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 you have value too. And this is really a story of that. This is Maddie realizing that he has a destiny and a purpose that is just as important as anything that Captain Terrific has ever done. Yeah, and it's a it's a really good lesson. Uh, and the other thing that I was struck by, and, and some, we get some of this in in the first volume. It continues in the second volume. So I, I know as a, a a huge fan of Superman, much like myself, that you hear people say, "Oh, I don't like Superman because he's boring." You know, he always does the right thing. He's one dimensional, what have you. You know, we, we can argue whether that's valid or not, but that's mm-hmm. certainly not the direction you're taking Captain Terrific. Like he's much more nuanced, much, much more of kind of a fully realized person. He doesn't always say or do the right thing, especially once his identity is revealed. You know, he he has a tough time with that and, and understandably so. But, you know, he he reacts emotionally, you know, much more like you or I might. Yeah, he um, th- and that's a thing of like, I would say um, to make a Superman analog or an archetype, if you will, you have to like really zoom in on what makes them different. And the thing that I found was, is that Captain Terrific is very much afraid of people getting hurt. He's very obsessed with that. And it's, and you can see that in the, the very first scene I have with him where like they're, they have a superhero fight and he will not let Lady Samurai finish the fight. He's worried about her, her, his superhero compatriot uh, who's on a superhero team. He's on a superhero team with this character will not let them uh, participate because he's worried about them getting hurt. And that extends to when his identity gets revealed in the first issue. It's the reason why he immediately zooms home to his parents because he's like, oh, my God, they're going to be hurt because of this. Um, You know, and then there's a there's a story reason why they're they're, why they're not, of course. But, um, you know, I you you have to like you have to like make him feel this right. Because it's also the only way that we can relate to him. And also it's a, it's a very much just like the classic stories of Batman and Robin and Sherlock and Watson, um, Captain Terrific and Maddie together, like kind of make a complete person. Mm. So they both have flaws that the other ones don't understand. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a very, definitely a classic way to play uh, off the interaction between these, uh, these two characters, but you, and you also can't help but feel bad for Maddie. I mean, he, it, it certainly was an accident. It was, you know, not uh, intentional. But And at the same time, it's sort of a co- little bit of a commentary on sort of the downside of, of social media and what, what we were saying before with that 24-hour, you know, seven-day-a-week news cycle. And uh, it, can be, uh, it can be abusive. Yeah, it's, it's, and it can hurt people when you don't realize it. it, it, it so the moment, yeah, and I, I'm so glad you picked up on that, man, because like, that's it was 100% intentional. It was very much um, Maddie when he runs up on Captain Terrific, you know, Captain Terrific is in the middle of a supervillain fight. And if Maddie hadn't been recorded 
if he hadn't ran into the situation with his phone out and up and recording the everything would have been just fine we probably like you know like five or it would have been like 20 or 50 people maybe would have seen but you could have you could have shook shooken that off you could be like i'm not captain terrific you weirdo that saw me on the street but because he came up with his phone on and going you know that that is sort of me being a little bit my old man statement of like going to a concert and watching everybody and i haven't been to a concert in three years but watching everybody (laughs) record the concert instead of watching the concert right Um, so that is intentional and it's, it it is a little bit too, it's, it's me saying that Maddie thinks his only value is what he can record and it's not, it's, it's how he frames things. It's how he sees things. Uh, and that's something that I I was like trying to introduce to him, uh, in, in, in the second issue. Like I, I, I say like, um, it's interesting, like, you know, cause it's a three issue miniseries. And the first issue was about breaking both of them. Like they, 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 it has to like break both of them. Issue two is I've got to repair Captain Terrific. So issue two is going to repair kind of Captain Terrific. And then issue three is like, we've got to repair Maddie because like, that's where he's going next. Yeah. That's the other thing. I mean, he, nobody feels worse than about this than, than Maddie does, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, as angry as Cap- Captain Terrific is, or is worried about somebody getting hurt. I mean, Maddie is really, uh, torn up over it but the the other thing that's really cool in in terms of like story structure you know putting the sausage together the fact that you have social media as an aspect of the story is you get to give us all these different point of views they're almost like a chorus you know mm-hmm. where you get to throw in these ideas and see the uh, way different people are are reacting so that's got to be a lot of fun to write those social media posts right yeah it's uh it's <laughs> it also leads to getting in some dangerous territory of the idea of like uh, you know, because when I, I I try to come up with these other people, the story breaks where you see these other people, and I kind of go to videos that are pretty have a lot of views, and I kind of scroll through the comments. And what's the one thing you learn about the internet? Don't read the comments, right? Right. Yeah. And you see everything in these comments from like people praising them to people um, calling them idiots, and and you know, like I mean, I've I've experienced too, and I've said this like I. I might've said this on the pod, this podcast before I, I once had a video that I made. Somebody was like, I hope your mom gets cancer. Yeah. That's... And I, and I, and I think I wrote into this one or an issue one, I think I wrote, like there's a comment where it, it says, I hope your mom gets hit by a car to yeah. Maddie, yeah. you know, and that's directly inspired by that comment. And, and you're just like, wow. But, um, uh, but yes, you're, you, it's, there's a, there's a scene where um, somebody gets hurt in the second issue and then it becomes like sort of a TikTok challenge where people like are making fun of it. And yeah. like, that is very intentional where it's like, oh yeah, people, because that's how people would be like, like there are TikTok challenges of like the craziest things. And I, and I, you know, and there's, and I don't want to come off as the, the, the person being like, social media is mad and you shouldn't do it. You old younger, you know, I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just saying like, I'm more pointing out that it's like every viewpoint is on there. Mm-hmm. And isn't that weird and also fascinating at the same time? Yeah. It's like anything. It's there's good things and bad things. And if you, if you go to the extreme, you Mm -hmm. know, one way or the other, you know, it's, it's polarizing, it's, it's divisive. And we really, it's more about coming together. Um, And, and speaking of coming together, the other thing that's uh, awesome about this, and you certainly can see it in the fact that one of your covers is an homage to the the electric Superman. Um, 
comic readers of uh, comic fans of a certain age that you know read a lot of superman and whatnot in the 90s they're going to get a kick out of the homages that you have in in issue two so again you know as a, as a fan that's the triangle era is kind of my favorite era of, of superman mine too so i i mean that was just a joy to read how much fun was it to like build the story out structure it to, to have those little callbacks so those are always the best um and it's always interesting to see like there are lots of small ones in there that i don't think people uh have caught on which is very funny um i always said to myself that if i've ever got the chance to write superman i would I would write a Superman blue story um, because I think it's an idea. And look, I fully admit that that storyline is not the greatest, but I love the idea that they took that massive swing that they took the world's like one of the world's most popular characters. And we're, and we're like, let's just change everything about him, everything. And that they stuck to it for two years. Yeah. That is like, I mean, we're in a world where, Basically, if you change anything about a character, whether that's Star Wars or Star Trek or Marvel or anything, people flip out. Yeah. And they decided to take the one of the world's greatest superheroes and be like, we're going to change his costume. We're going to change his powers. We're going to change his logo. We're going to change his titles. We're going to do every, He's going to be a completely different character. And like, I, I love that creativity. I love it. And so I have this fondness. So I, when I was working on this character and I was working on this book, um, I was like, I have to do this. I have to put in like an electric Superman homage into this book because if I don't do it now, I may never do it. And that's why I say like, don't, don't save your darlings, like, like write your darlings immediately. Don't wait for the opportunity, write it now. And um, yeah. And that's why um, uh, it's funny. The main cover to Super Best Friend 2 by George Camadise is a reference. It's an homage to um, all three of my covers this time are homages. Um, this one was an homage to there's a zero hour cover where Superman is surrounded by a bunch of Batman. Mm-hmm. That's the main cover reference. And then I got uh, Sarah Louver, who's comic girl on Twitter, and she did a direct re- homage to uh, uh, Superman 123, which is the first electric Superman cover. And then um, speaking of triangle era, uh, I asked Dan Jurgens, the, the, the amazing Superman artist, Dan Jurgens, um, um, to draw a cover for me and he said yes and when i when he asked me in the email um what what do i had any thoughts do i had any ideas i sent him a cover it's a very famous silver age cover where like superman is flying away from the camera and lois is riding on his back in a in a wedding dress and i was like it would be fun to see like some version of this except it's maddie riding captain terrific and he was like you got it and then he gave uh, uh, the cover that um, is you can find on my and like I said again like talk about a bucket list item so they're all like all three covers are like Superman homages yeah and and they're all fantastic I I don't know which one. I may just have to may just have to get all three now <laughs> I, I I know this is probably you probably thought about this um, because the, the cool thing about that 123 was that it glowed in the dark. Was there ever any consideration to doing that? Um, there wasn't. That's really smart. I did think about doing um, a spot gloss mm. where um, Terrific is like he like is he stands out from the cover and maybe right. the logo stands out from the cover. Um, I will tell you that that is a stretch goal that hasn't been revealed yet. 
Oh, okay, um, there you go. so like that is there. Um, um, but we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, um, but no, um, it's so funny, man. Uh, when I did super best friend one, I really wanted to do holographic trading cards and anything foil or shiny or holographic when you're like a, an, an independent comic book maker is so ungodly expensive. Right. Um, that it's just like, it's unfeasible. I understand like Marvel and DC can do it cause they're printing like a hundred thousand copies, but right. like the guy that maybe only prints like a thousand copies. Oh boy. It is very pricey. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's even more pricey right now with all the things that are going on with paper that's shortages fair. and it's fair. Yeah. And all that, all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, like we said, plenty of homages, not only to, to Superman, but kind of, you know, classic superhero uh, stories. Uh, we were talked a little bit about community uh, before, but let's go back to that idea in terms of how was uh, issue one received in terms of the feedback that you saw or, or you heard? Did a lot of those ideas, you know, you mentioned that some of the, the homages maybe were uh, that flew kind of un, under the radar. But did you feel like for the most part, people got what you were intending for, for the first issue? Uh, yes. Um, I, I, I had a lot of really positive response to the first issue. Um, and, um, it was funny. I had a lot of people, the, the response that surprised me the most and was a lot of people were like, how many other stories in this world are we going to get? Mm-hmm. Which I took as a huge compliment because I, I really wanted super best friend to feel like a Superman book where, when you read a Superman book, they have mentions or there's characters. You feel the 80 year history. Now that is not the case with super best friend. Super best friend is a brand new book. It, it, you know, it just existed last year, but I wanted you to feel like captain terrific has been around for a while. And I wanted them to reference things that you will never see. Like in the first issue, there's like a two page sequence where Maddie like basically references all these other adventures that have happened, uh, which, you know, you're never going to see, but like that would happen in the silver age all the time. And I wanted that because like there was a tone thing where we used to read comic books all the time and they would never explain stuff Mm -hmm. and you would just have to figure it out, you know, make your peace with it. Um, So I was really impressed with people. People were like, oh, man, are we ever going to meet this character? Or are we ever going to get a book at this character? And and I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. Um, you know, I haven't I hadn't really considered that. Um, I built the world out to feel lived in and bigger. And um, so I really appreciate that that was like the thing that people tuned in on. Yeah, that's really uh, that's an interesting thing that people picked up because because you're right. I, I didn't even really it didn't necessarily register or stand out to me. But but now that you say that, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's you gave us so many characters, you know, other villains, other heroes, and it just felt like we were starting uh, with a character that wasn't brand new. And it reminds me of something I, I just had Brian Michael Bennis on the show uh, a few days ago, and he was talking about how uh, we were talking about Legion, the Legion of Superheroes uh, TV show that's in development, and how he wouldn't, he's, he said he, he doesn't ever think it would have got approved before. Because it used to be when these properties were being developed, they it, you always had to start at the beginning with the origin story. Otherwise, people are like, well, how do they get their power? You know, these TV mm-hmm. executives, well, how do they get their powers? Like, uh, people won't understand. And we are, we're so far past that now with all these superheroes. You can, you can start in the middle. You know, you can start in more like, uh, to use your term, a, a lived-in world. So so you're right. I, I would be very curious to get, you know, 
who who's the kind of the homage to Batman in in the super best friend world? I mean, I'm sure. You oh, it's have dusk. A Batman story. It's dusk. It's oh, uh, it? it's uh, yeah. So you see, you meet him in issue one. Um, so I will tell you, there is a sequence in issue three, and I will spoil like it, like so. Dusk, you see him in issue one. You see him in issue two. He doesn't get a lot to do in issue two, but in issue three, there's a sequence with him and Maddie, and there's a point. They're, they're going to come to a conflict where all the other heroes of the assembly, which is a superhero team they're they all have to defeat a thing. They all have to face like the same person. And I do it because I want to show like, Oh, how they're different. So they all have a different way of how to defeat it. And for dusk, because it's very Batman to me, the way he defeats it is it's simply Maddie being like, your mind is stronger than this concentrate and focus. And that's how he beats it. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, so you, you really have created a, a a fully realized universe in in a lot of ways. But here here's the other thing about it, right? Like you, sure. you self you self publish this. You do your own fulfillment, all that kind of stuff. So you you probably don't get to go as fast as you necessarily would if you you know if this was at a publisher or monthly book plus. You have a more than full-time day job, right? So yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> that's always a, a challenge, finding the time to to create, right? Yeah, it is. And it, 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 you know, but that's the, you know, that's the the road I've taken. I've decided to take it. I, I mean, I could have gone the traditional route with this, um, you know, but I will tell, I will say that, you know, and to your listeners, you know, it's, there's a reason why I write independent comic books are a labor of love on my Kickstarter campaign, because they are, because takes so much work and what most people don't realize in terms of the independent comic world is it also takes a, it takes a lot of income mm-hmm. to basically fund independent comic book because you as the writer you basically have to fund the full-time living wage of your artist because your artist can't work on anything else while they're doing your book um so yeah that is right like i, I wouldn't be able to make this as fast but the reason I went with this route is because I wanted this book. I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted with this book. And I will tell you that uh, I've always had what the last scene of this book is. And I, I've always, I've had from the very beginning before I even wrote issue one, I had an outline of where this is going and I had it broken down by issue. Um, and now that I've been thinking about, you know, like, okay, I got to start like putting together like what issue three is. Cause I got to have George start drawing and stuff like that. Um, I've been able to change some things and I've been able to be like, Oh, maybe I'm going to do that. Like there's a new idea that's sort of taken shape and I'm like, Oh, maybe I'm going to do this. Maybe I'm going to do this. And I think that if I hadn't done it in such a slow and deliberate way, in a way that lets me have this freedom, I probably wouldn't have written this ending. Like, like, or the, I would have written this thing that I'm thinking about. Um, mm. And I'll tell you off the air what it is. <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that, that is a great point. The, the longer you kind of live with a story in your head, kind of the more you can kind of tweak it and, and dial it in. Yeah. Which also brings me to uh, another question. If this is a challenge for you at all, there there has to be at some point where you stop tinkering with something, right? Where you say it's it's ready. I hear this from, from artists, maybe more than writers, where at some point you got to stop putting in details and you got to say, yeah. okay, I, I'm finished. I, 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 so is that a struggle at all ever? Um, not for me, man. Um, I, I will tell you that I used to paint a lot more 
And the, I think the reason why you do hear that from artists is because I used to have this thing when I would paint and you could always tell when you put one too many brush strokes on the canvas, like you would, oh, like the minute you did it, you'd be like, I got to stop. Cause if I go any further, it's just going to make it worse. Yeah. So I have to just like, the, yeah. Top of the bell curve. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's funny because like, I don't really feel that with writing. Like I just kind of like, there's a certain point where with writing where I'm just like, you got to just rip it off and let it go. And it is what it is. And it's either good or it's not. And it's really out of my hands now. I, you're, and you're like, I hope I, I stuck the landing. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, you know? Yeah. But I, the, the other part about the writing though, is it's not the end of the, the creative process in terms of, okay, you're going to write this script, but then you're going to hand it over to George and that's, you know, and that speaks to the collaborative uh, nature of comics. That's where the story starts to, to come to yeah. life. So that might uh, be a part of it as well, because you, you and George have definitely established, you know, you mentioned the Silver Age earlier. You've established as much as there's serious, some serious ideas that we've talked about in the book. But you guys have really established this kind of really fun, almost campy aesthetic that does uh, pay a little bit of an homage to the Silver Age um, era as a whole. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's, um, George is like amazing. I mean, that the whole reason this book exists is because, you know, I, I was always a fan of his and then, you know, um, I luckily was able to scoop him up for this, but, um, but no, you're right. Like I do, it's just like, you know, how editing for a film is sort of the last draft. Like I will say that like, I've done this on every page. Um, when I see George's art, and then I give it to Taylor Esposito, our amazing letterer, who's lettered every one of my books. I give it to him and I get the, the, the pages back and Taylor's like, hey, is it all good? Like, that was, you know, because of George's art, I always delete words. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I, and I think a lot of writers probably do this where I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm being too verbose. And his art is telling the story. I don't need to do anymore because, you know, which is the great thing about collaborating. It's the great thing about how good George is. And it's the great thing about making comic books is you're just like, oh, yeah, the artist does so much heavy lifting. OK, I'm going to like I don't need so many word balloons on the on, on the on the page as I thought. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to cover up that beautiful work. And it is a trend that we've seen. I mean, we. We've been going back and doing our our daily spawn and rereading some of the early <laughs> Todd McFarlane stuff, which I know you've read. You I can, did that at the beginning of the pandemic. I read the first hundred issues of Spawn and and uh, oh wowzers! But there's a lot of great issues in there too. Oh, it's it holds up, you know. But there's but there's also some issues in there where you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely early days image of like flying by the seat of your pants at a hundred miles per hour, and we don't know where we're going. Yeah. And you get this wall of text that's telling you exactly describing exactly what's happening in the picture. Yeah. And if anybody as an artist can really just, you know, picture worth a thousand words, it's you McFarlane, you know, how far into it are you? Can I ask how far into it? are you? Uh, We, we just did uh, issue 49. Okay. So you're talking along. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we started uh, leading up to Christmas, 12 days of spawn miss. And then the first year (laughs) we did issue 13 and then we've been, I've missed a few days, but, but theoretically, there's, you know, about 330 issues between 330 and 340 by the end of the year. So we should get there. It's funny because um, like somewhere around the 60s or 70s, you're going to hit the movie. All right. Because that's when I was reading Spawn. 
Like that's when I like around, I think I bought issue 50 was like 50 or 55 is when I started reading Spawn when Greg Capullo was there. Mm -hmm. And then you can tell when the movie happens because the book like does a big pivot to, to make everything look like the movie. Um, and so I'll be interested to hear what you guys think when you get to that. Yeah, that will be interesting, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been enjoyable, but again, yeah, very, very nineties, very nineties. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, but back to, uh, your collaboration with George, uh, you know, being that this is the, the second volume here, a second issue, uh, a little easier in terms of, of writing the script. Have you guys developed a, a shorthand or, or do you, you clicked right from the beginning and there's not really any changes just as good as the first time around? Um, well, one, I, I, I got to give credit to George because George, I have to say, English is a second language. Because he lives in Greece, in the lovely, lovely country Greece. I, I, I'm, I don't know where he lives, but I'm certain he has like a beach villa that he overlooks. They like can see the Mediterranean or something like that. <laughs> he just always seems so chill um, every time I'm speaking with him. But um, uh, um, it, I'm always amazed because George has to translate my script to make it work. And, you know, um, but no, like, oh, man, there were so many advantages because, like, you know, as you know, like, when you write the first issue of a script, you always have to be like very specific, like, okay, this is the type of clothes they're wearing these clothes. This is what their hair looks like. And you got to do that throughout the whole issue, because if you don't, then your artist is going to immediately be like, okay, what are they wearing? But for this issue, I could just basically be like, okay, I don't have to tell George anything unless there's a costume change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I don't have to worry, like he's going to draw Maddie and Maddie's outfit unless I tell, uh, tell him anything. Um, you know, but no, no, it was very easy. Like George knows exactly like what to go for and how to do it. And, um, you know, it's, it's so funny. Um, I find the only like adjustments I ever have to make for George is it just, just, I think just shows you how we view the character differently. I think I view Maddie as more joyous. Um, and I think George views him as a little bit more mischievous than I do, because there are sometimes there are some panels where um, George will give Maddie an expression that I'm like, ooh, I think that makes him a look a little too mean. And I don't know if we want to go for that here. You know, so I was like, can you make him look a little bit happier? <laughs> you know, but I, but I'm like, I'm always like, oh, that's how he's interpreting the script. Like he sees Maddie as like a bit more prankstery, whereas I see him as like more pure intentions. Yeah, I kind of that's kind of the impression I get too. But but I, I think George's uh what he's pulling from it is valid too, because in a way Yeah, it's not wrong at all. Yeah. That that's a little more what you would see in somebody kind of in real life that would do a channel like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you look the at a prankster. lot of influencers or whatever, they have yeah. that snark to them, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, no, and again, it's not a, like but the, to me, and the only reason I even like make these and it's very minor. It's only happened like one or two times. It's just because it's been, there's been certain scenes where I'm like, Ooh, I don't want the audience to think Maddie's the bad guy now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely it doesn't come across that, that way. Uh, well, we, you mentioned that, you know, this, the stretch goal of, of the spot gloss. Uh, let's talk about the, the tiers and some of the other sure. rewards and any stretch goals that, uh, that have, uh, been announced because obviously as we said everybody it's fully funded you know if you join the campaign that you're going to for sure get uh volume two so what are some of the rewards that people can get jason uh i mean the cool things you can get are you can catch up on issue one of course um you can get the dan jurgens variant cover um i've been told by somebody else they say my best reward actually and they, they told me this is that um at 
45, we give the digital, I call it the digital book bonanza. And it's literally like you can get a digital copy of everything I've ever written uh, mm-hmm. for only $45, which is, I did the math and it's actually like 445 pages. Wow. For $45. So like, it's a lot. Um, some of my favorite ones actually are um, in the book. We have these chat boxes that pop up and you can have your name or whatever username you want or a relative as like one of the, the chat commenters. Um, also, I like to help people. There's a, a script review uh, where all I like, you guys can write a script and I will like, it can be a TV pilot, a screenplay, a comic book, and uh, I will give you notes on it. Um, and then right now we have one cameo at the time of recording, we have one cameo where you will be drawn into the book, you know, or a loved one. George will draw your face into super best friend as a character that will speak um, into super best friend. Um, and there's only one left. And I always think that's really cool to like, you know, immortalize yourself. Yeah. You know, nobody can ever take that away from you though. That's yep. cool. Uh, let's go back to this idea of, of script review. Sure. Uh, because I always love it. And I know you, you love talking craft and you love helping out people that are, that are trying to break in. Um, but maybe there might be some listeners that don't, realize kind of what your your bona fides are like you don't just do independent comics i mean you have a a long resume of of things you've written talk about some of the other things that that you've done that really give you the experience because i mean sure yeah i I think you're a great person to be kind of a mentor or or somebody who's brain to pick up for somebody who's looking to break in so um yeah not only like i said I've, i've been nominated for a ringo award three times for independent comic books but also i've also written uh, for Good Mythical Morning, for Rhett and Link, and Honest Trailers over at Screen Junkies. Um, and then I've spent the last three and a half years um, developing and working on CBS television shows. Um, now, The Code came out in 2019, and I worked in the writer's room on that one. And then the other shows I've been working on, uh, you know, which just happens in TV development, they're all shows that I can't talk about because they haven't been released yet. Um, so, but they're big. People will know these franchises. Yes, they will. They will know them. I'm just like, it's they're They're ones that haven't been announced because they are big and they haven't, they they're spending a lot of time on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but yes, I like, I've literally like the last three and a half years have been like a crash course in like writing television. So like, I would be more than happy to like help people like impart my knowledge because like, I do feel like working for CBS television has been like, basically going back to college for writing, but specifically about writing television. Right. Uh, and then also you have your, your book. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then I wrote a novel, uh, a nonfiction novel, uh, uh, super soldiers. And I've also written podcasts. So like literally like, yeah, weird. I, I thank you for bringing that up, Jace. I, I just, uh, I have kind of like written everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's my point. So if, if you're out there struggling to, you know, write your own prose, or you want to break into TV or, you know, screenplays or comics, this, you know, this is your guy. I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. And I have uh, four of those. I love doing those because I love reading other people's things. And I'm always like, man, I would love to see like your thing be made. Like, I mean, if I can, and if I can help in that journey, like, please let me. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's great about it is, you know, you, it has been relatively recent for you that, you've you've taken this step you know because when i met you you're still doing the the hosting thing for Mm -hmm. uh for dc um so i feel like it's it's fresh in your mind you've learned these lessons and you're happy to 
kind of impart that knowledge and hopefully keep somebody else from making some of the same mistakes mm-hmm. that you've made. You know, not yeah, that we yeah. don't, not that mistakes aren't valid because you do learn from them, but you know, your, your point of everything you have to put into that first issue script, that's not in the second. I, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's so much, again, to go back to the idea of sausages made, people don't realize that, you know, probably 80% of the words that you actually type in a script never actually appear in the comic, only the yeah. dialogue, you know? Here's the, here's the biggest lesson I learned from the first comic book script I ever wrote. And I didn't learn this lesson until later. So we wrote a script, handed it to the artist, they drew it. This was actually on Jupiter Jet. Handed it to the colorist, and we got the art back, and it was all over the place. Now, that wasn't our colorist's fault at all. The fault was is that we didn't write this very simple thing in our script. We didn't tell anybody in the script what time of day anything took place. Mm. So the colorist just made excellent observations, just made guesses. But if we certainly were like, oh, all these night scenes are like during the day. All these day scenes are during the night. Like, why isn't it raining in this scene? And it's like, because we didn't write any of that. And so we had to very quickly go back and like, so ever since then, like I've been like, ah, you have to tell the artist what time of day is this scene taking place? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's so true. And it doesn't just happen with, uh, you know, people who are, who are writing comics, but people can't read your mind. But when you are in the middle of creating something, you're so immersed and you're so laser focused and you yes. know in your mind what it's supposed to be. <laughs> You just feel like I'm putting this out there and it's going to, you know, people are just going to pick up on it. And it's not always the case. Well, and that's the great thing too. That's uh, so our editor, Brittany matter, she edited um, Jupiter jet and the forgotten radio. And she's ed- edited every episode of super best friend. And I brought her on because um, I, there are so many times where, yes, you're right. You're, you, you, you just have blinders on. And that's the great thing why I sent her the script before I ever sent it to George, because she'll give me notes back by like, I don't think this is clear. And she's like, I don't know if you're like, you're not quite telling George what to draw in this panel or what you're looking for in this panel. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, ah, okay. And I'd rather have that conversation with Brittany because all that will do is slow George down. Right. And I'd rather George just be like, bam, you know, and add his own secret sauce and make it awesome. Um, You know, but that's the thing you're, you're right. Like you have one, your first lesson with writing comic strip is one, you have to make it clear to your artist and your editor. Like if somebody else has to read this document, they have to understand, well, what is he, what are they looking for on this page? And the second thing you have to do is your artist lives with this script for days and days and days. So you got to make it entertaining. You have to make this document entertaining because this artist is going to read that page over and over and over more than you will probably. So if Mm -hmm. you don't make it fun, then like, you're basically making that artist's job harder. Yeah. If it's a slog, they're not mm-hmm. going to be putting in their best work. You know, the, the passion of it is not going to come through that. And that's not the case at all with super best friend. Like we were talking about this silver age kind of joyous, fun uh, aesthetic where it doesn't take itself uh, too seriously. Uh, I think you, you, uh, you guys really nail that. Well, thank sure. you. And again, like I want to say like a lot of heavy lifting goes to George because um, I, I like to do this. We did this for Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio, the sequel as well. And um, I, I emailed George before issue two, before I was writing it. And I said, is there anything 
you really want to draw that you haven't drawn before? Because if so, I will figure out, I will figure out the way to bring it in. And his response was just give me more Maddie. <laughs> and I was like, you got it, bud. <laughs> well, that brings up another uh, good point. Cause here's the, the thing, here's the challenge. Here's trying to find the balance, right? Like you said, you've got to make sure you're clear and he understands what needs to be there. But George is the artist and I know you're smart enough to let him do his thing. So there's got to be room for him to uh, interpret and be like, Hey, let's frame it this way, or let's have the, the panel laid out this way. Cause I think that's, that's, you know, better because, and this is the thing that bugs me to no end. And I know it bugs you as well. Even comic press, I mean, regular press, you know, e-Hollywood, Hollywood reporter, whatever. Uh, but even comic sites are like uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen. You know, and they don't mention Dave Gibbons so much of comics. It's the story. The visual storytelling is is just as important. Uh, So I, I, you know, again, I I know that that's got to be a challenge to make sure there's room for George to to do his thing or or make changes or or that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, can I tell you a cool thing is is that in issue one, um, there was a sequence where um, I had Maddie recount um like the first time he met terrific it was one panel and george on that panel and i don't know why he made this choice but he like sort of digitized it he put these little corner things on there and i never asked him why he did that i was like i was like oh inter-. i just all i said in the script was i was like just make sure the panel looks different because i want readers just to know that this is a flashback mm-hmm. and so he did that's what he chose and i was like all right cool all right so in the second issue, there is a sort of like dream fantasy sequence. And because George did that, I said, hey, bring that back. Do that same effect on this because it, like we already established with the audience that it's like a dream sequence. So like, okay, they'll know immediately that they see this, that something's weird, something's going on. Um, and that was all George. It works really well. I'm mm-hmm. surprised I didn't realize that that was that was all George because it it seems so deliberate. Uh, and and uh, I mean, obviously it is. You pulled it from from uh, what he did in the first issue. But yeah, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about of making sure that you let somebody you know that that's what they're best at. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of release the hounds, as it were. Well, that's the beautiful thing about collaboration, right? Is the um, he. You know, like, yeah, the the idea of Maddie Moore and and all this stuff like that comes from me. But like George is the one that adds the, 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 the you know, he he I may write the recipe for the cake, but George bakes the cake. Yeah, that's a really good way uh, to put it. And the other thing uh, or, or member of the team that we should uh, mention is wait. wait. Am I, is there a separate colorist or is George, is George? No, it's George all the way through George, George inks and colors this book. His coloring is fantastic. It It is all, all of the art is George in this book. Wow. Uh, And I think there's an advantage to that. You know, I know not everybody can do it. I I know that some artists, uh, you know, it's a matter of time, you know, Um, but I think what that allows an artist to do is what they see in their head is more pure when it comes out at, you know, on the finished end. Yes, I agree. I mean, like that was a thing, like also like, again, just in terms of production, it makes it very easy because it's one person, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, 
and it also makes it very easy because like the way George and I work is that, you know, he'll send me thumbnails and then I'll see inks. And then like the final files I get from him are colors. They're just like, boom, there they are. (laughs) Wow. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, uh, what is the timing uh, for the the second volume, Jason? When are you looking at hoping to have it in people's hands? I'm hoping to have it in people's hands in September of this year. And my secret hope is that it'll actually be in people's hands sooner than that. But that is with some buffering for um, I've been talking to some other comic book creatives and in terms of printing books, there is a paper shortage in this country right mm-hmm. now. So that is me hoping that that is allowing enough time for if there are any paper related issues or USPS issues or anything like that. Um, I'm hoping that it'll be, I, I was able to fulfill the first one sooner than that, but this is me basically being like, this is me hedging my bets because I'd rather give it to you earlier than give it to you later. Yeah. And I've been hearing that a, a lot from people and, and, in fact, there was a recent um, campaign. It was the first campaign that that Zoop, that the the new uh, crowdfunding platform, did. Um, was that Slow, Slow City, City Blues? Yeah, Slow City yeah. Blues. Um, and yeah, their book sat out on a ship in like Long Island or whatever for like almost two months. Yeah, waiting to be unloaded. So that's the other thing. It's not only the paper shortage. It's it's you know the supply chain issues that we're still um, yeah. dealing with. So well, it's funny. Like I always, like I said, like. I, I know I make comic books full, full of fun and stuff like that. And I, 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 I make that true. And it's funny, like I always put things in my Kickstarter campaign to see who reads them, you know, cause again, I'm making it fun. And I literally say um, at the bottom of my campaign that I say that I'm like, Hey, an alien God could show up to eat the earth and that could cause complications for this Kickstarter. And I, and nobody has ever, mentioned that once but it's on the kickstarter campaign yeah it's valid it's it's, it's, it's totally valid who knows you know i'm just like there's lots of stuff that could be out of my control and you got to give me the benefit like it's like look i'm always very much like my biggest thing about anything in life and even kickstarters is just like if you're going to be delayed just tell people Mm -hmm. just tell people yeah and and i think people are pretty understanding Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part especially because you know i mean this is just you like when these books come in you're the one packaging oh, them. I hand pack all of these. Every single one of these. I like. I have never put it out to fulfill my company. Um, I do this thing on every Kickstarter campaign. I I always buy a set of trading cards and I throw trading cards in there because I'm like that is sort of my way of being like, hey, this is how you know it came from me and not a fulfillment mm-hmm. company. Uh, I will tell you that uh, I haven't revealed this yet. I'll give it to you. To Jay. I mean, it's not like it's like exclusive anyway. Um, but. Um, I'm going to put, I bought Batman forever trading cards. I bought the complete set of Batman forever trading cards. They're very shiny. So you're, everybody's going to get Batman forever uh, trading cards. Cause uh, I was like, well, if I'm going goofy and silly with uh, Superman red and Superman blue, then I'm going to get goofy with Jim Carrey's Riddler. Yeah. So the Batman forever, like the metal set where they're all, Kind of oh no! I think it's just the normal ones, but they are very like oh they have, the normal one that had the gloss. Did they make like a hologram set or something like that? It's not a hologram set, but uh, it's it's like a metal. They called it because Fle- it, it was by, from Fleer, and they called it Batman Forever Metal. Yeah, and uh, they were. I, I remember that. I, I have I mean, them right here. Let me look. Hold on a second. Here I have. Yeah, I mean Batman there. Forever. That marketing might have been the peak of Warner Brothers Batman marketing. It was. <laughs> I okay. Okay. I have some of them in here. 
but it's that's more than normal cards but i have i have so there people will get some hologram ones as well uh i can't pull it out i'm trying to pull it out yeah like i have some of these in here i'm showing it to jace oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. they are like yeah that's very 90s but they're very normal like i have mostly the normal cards but i have some holograms in here well you, uh, everybody you might get lucky uh well uh <laughs> It's been great chatting with you, Jason, and, and catching up. I think now's a good time to remind everybody uh, the way you can help Jason and, and George out. If you don't think this is for you or you would love to be a part of Super Best Friend, but you, know, you just don't have the means right now, the best way you can help out other than joining the campaign and enjoying this great story is to share it on social media. Let's get as many eyes on this thing as possible so that anybody that wants to be a part of the campaign can uh join can pledge and can get the the tier that they want because it always sucks when you discover a campaign like two days after it ended and you're like man i would love to have been a part of that so if you uh like i said if it's just not for you or you don't have the means right now please just share it on social media that's how you can uh, you can really help jason out uh as we're winding down here jason anything else that you want to share with our listeners uh no i just want to get yeah, that's a very important point you said like a share on social media can be just as important as a dollar towards donation i always say that every time um, and I also will say that if anything is interesting or, or like, this will be the only time the Dan Jurgens cover will mm. ever be available. So if you have any interest in it, like you got to come over, if you're a Dan Jurgens completist, like this is it, uh, there, I'm only going to print them for this campaign. So the only ones that you might see on campaign three are just the stragglers, like the overstock. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, that is going to be it. Um, but, um, other than that, um, yeah, sharing on social media, superbestfriendcomic.com. Yeah, um, any any just likes or, or tweets or retweets are just as valid as backing the campaign. Yeah, agreed. Uh, why don't you remind everybody where you can be found online? You know, you have your own podcast, uh, like you mentioned. Uh, where else can people find you? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter and Instagram at Jawin, J-W-I-I-N, where I'll be sharing... Uh, pictures of super best friend books I buy inspirational quotes and whatnot and then every week you can hear uh, me and Ashley Victoria Robinson on geek history lesson which is where we teach you about a comic book character or a pop culture character in a little bit less than an hour Jace has been a guest on that podcast yeah uh, we've done a crossover episode and um, I think soon we're doing moon Knight oh, and yeah. best catwoman stories is, an, is another one that's coming up Fantastic. Well, I'll put links to Jason's uh, Twitter and Instagram in the show notes, as well as uh, a link to the Geek History Listen homepage. I encourage you guys to go and listen. It's a fantastic podcast. You can learn a Thanks, lot. Thanks, uh, And everybody go and check out, like at least just go and check out the campaign page for Super Best Friend. If, if you're as big of a fan of, of Triangle Era of Superman as Jason and I are, you, this is a must buy. <laughs> it really, really is. It's fantastic. So uh, again, my friend, congratulations on already funding. Best of luck to hit as many stretch goals as possible. And uh, it's been great catching up. Uh, Thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. And to all you listeners, we want to uh, thank you as well for joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. 
twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.